moving him. Well, we are nearing the end of the book of Acts. I went uh, backwards and checked how many sermons have we uh, had in this book. Around about 80 by now. And after 80 sermons, we're in the last chapter. Uh, for the moment, we are considering verses 1 to 10, this last chapter that speaks of the arrival of the Apostle Paul in the capital of the empire of the Roman Empire, Rome. And here he is. As uh, I've pointed out uh, in earlier sermons, this whole thing has come to pass because Paul was adamant Paul was resolute in his decision to go to Jerusalem to testify and to witness to them of the grace and, and the working of God in his third missionary journey. He had, he had carried out his ministry faithfully up until then. And although people warned him of the dangers of going to Jerusalem, he was steadfast. Nothing else mattered for him. He said he was willing to even die for the testimony of the gospel. And in Jerusalem he was arrested. And in Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem he was taken to Caesarea. There he stood uh, in this limbo. Not really in, on trial. Not really condemned. Not really in prison. But not really free, a free man. For two years he stood there. Under the, the umbrella of two different governors. But after two years he finally is sent from Caesarea to Rome to make his appeal before Caesar. And in the journey there, he's faced with this tempest, with this storm. And for at the last leg of this uh, trip, he, he was in the boat for 14 days with no light, no sun, no moon, no stars. But there he was. And last week where we left off, he was in this shipwreck. He was tossed back into this island uh, with all the 276 uh, people who were on board and they didn't, didn't know where they were. But in all of this, in all these circumstances, as I've often referred in the last few weeks, it is all to do with the fulfillment of the promise of God. God had told him and revealed to him time and time again through all these last two, two and a half years that he was in prison, that he was going to, going to be in Rome, that he was going to give his testimony of Christ to the Romans and particularly to the emperor himself. So today's section deals with this next step in the fulfillment of God's promises. When his ship was shipwrecked in the island of Malta, his life was spared with all the occupants. And today we consider this interaction. I've called this, I titled this sermon, Unexpected Encounters, God's Providence in Malta. And we will focus on what happened in this island, especially drawing the attention to how God orders all things for good in his providence. So let us look first at the perils and the providence in verses 1 and 2. 
we encounter Paul, the apostle, after uh, being wearied and, and, and tossed to and fro from the, from the boat, his, his travel-wearied companions, they find refuge in this island. We read in Acts 28 that this island was uh, named Malta. Malta is the Phoenician word, uh, uh, is the transliteration of a Phoenician word that, means Melita, uh, that comes from Melita. Melita means, in English, the safe uh, refuge or a, a place of refuge. What a profound uh, statement that Paul and the companions and the 200 and, and uh, something uh, people on that boat, they land on this city, on this island that is called the place of refuge. For indeed, the island of Malta became a safe haven for them from the chaos of the shipwreck. But it's quite breathtaking when you read this account in, uh, in Acts 20, 28, it is quite breathtaking how, how Luke presents to us uh, the perils of this journey, the perils that they were facing. Not only did they survive the shipwreck, but now they're, they're there. It's midwinter. This is a, probably around October, November. It's, it's midwinter. There is this hurricane that is still ongoing, not as strong as it was in the last two weeks, but it's still windy, it's still cold, it's raining, it's damp, it's overcast. They've just swam, uh, swam from, from the, the ocean to the shore. They're in the, at risk of hypothermia. This relentless rain is falling down. So they're still very much in danger. And the promise of God that they would all survive is still at risk of not being fulfilled, humanly speaking. But here comes the providence of God. Amidst these trials, Luke highlights for us the surprising, uh, he puts it, it's translated in our Bibles as the unusual kindness, the unusual kindness of the natives. If you have a... Uh, uh, the AV, if you use the, the King James Version, you, you'll see that they, they call the barbarians. It's, it's slightly uh, a mistranslation there, but it's the natives, the people who are not really Greeks or Romans. They were all called by this Greek term, barbarous. Uh, that's how, how the, the AV eventually translates, translates this as barbarians. But barbarous in this case just means natives, people who are not really Greek or Roman, the people who are outside of, of, the, uh, of the culture of, uh, of the day. They were barbarians. The barbarian tribes, uh, the German tribes were often called barbarians by the Romans. Not that they were uh, uneducated or, or, or they were ruthless in some way, but th because they were from outside the culture, they were barbarians. But here, these strangers to Paul, Luke, Aristarchus, and the rest of the, the, the people on that boat, these strangers, these natives, they come to them, and they don't shun them. They don't turn them away. They don't treat them with, with the disdain or with uh, indifference. Luke tells us that they treated them with unusual 
kindness. Only another time in the Word of God, this term that is translated to, for us as unusual uh, kindness is used. And in both times in the New Testament where these, this term is used involves how Paul receives uh, unexpected benevolence, surprising uh, love from unbelievers. The picture the scene, rain lashing down, wind, and you know when in the winter when wind adds to uh, rain lashing down, it becomes like piercing needles on your skin. They are shivering cold, and here come these islanders, these natives. They start a fire. They provide comfort. They and warmth for them. They were they were chilled and wearied in their time of need. They did not find hostility. They find, found hospitality. They encountered grace and compassion. And the point is, let us not miss that there is a God behind all of this. There was a preparation of hearts that went on. It is God's hand that is at work. God had promised and he will fulfill it. God promised not only that Paul would get to Rome, but he promised that all of those uh, 276 uh, people would survive. Divine providence of God was at work in the heart of those, uh, of those natives. And this, before we move forward, also speaks about hospitality. You know, don't you? Hospitality is something that, that is a defining Christian characteristic. It is to be one of the defining markers of Christianity to be hospitable. Peter says, be hospitable and do not grumble. And Hebrews uh, 13, the author says that you, you should be hospitable because you never know, you might be receiving an angel as you display that hospitality. You might entertain angels unaware. This obviously is referring back to Genesis 18, where Abraham, Abraham and Sarah received angels in the, in, and provided a nice dinner for them. But that's a very important area for us, and one that I would say we perhaps are, are falling short as the, the church. Are we very hospitable? It is a command, it is a duty of every Christian. And I ask myself, why is it that we are uh, failing? Why is it that we fail in this? And I think there are many things that cause us to fail. Perhaps we're still suffering from the, the, the remnants of, of COVID. For a year, a year and a half, we were told that you were not to mingle. And now we, we, we took it to heart and we don't mingle. Perhaps that's part of the reason. But very often, even discounting and accounting for, for, for COVID and its repercussions in our way of living, very often we don't want to open up our lives because we know that our lives are not what they ought to be. Because our lives are, are not as uh, perfect as we sometimes put up a, a, a front as they uh, to be. We are afraid to open ourselves up. But brothers and sisters, let us be more hospitable. Let us receive. Let us 
be faithful in the fulfillment of this Christian duty and be more hospitable. So often, as is the case here, we are outdone by our unbelieving friends. We are outdone, outdone by the world in this area that we should shine. The world does much better than us. And then we have the second section from verse 3 to verse 6. Serpents and surprises are in, in store for us. We, we, we are brought face to face with this uh, near brush experience, uh, this near brush death experience that, that, that Paul had with this venomous spider. Paul being a man of action. Paul being this, this man who was, nothing was below, uh, underneath himself. Nothing was too uh, a mean of a task for him to do. As he sees his fellow men struggling, shivering with cold, what is it that Paul does? He goes and he starts collecting twigs and, and, and branches. He starts picking up fuel for the fire, an act that unintentionally disturbed the servant. But this tells us something about the, the character and, the, and the, the demeanor of the Apostle Paul. He was an industrious, active man. He was always uh, set about in doing what was good for his fellow men. If anything needed to be done, it seems to me that the Apostle Paul was the person that was the first to step up and do it. You know why? Because there is this self-denial in him. Although he was this great apostle, although he had already done so much, although he knew that for a fact that the people were there uh, and they had survived because of his presence, he didn't sit down and go, you guys should start thanking me more often. No, he still has that servant self-denying heart. He stoops down to do something of service to others. He was willing to condescend to the meanest of services, to the smallest of things, for the good of his brethren, for the good of Luke and Aristarchus, and for the good of his fellow men, just for the sake of doing good. How we should learn from this, how we all should learn from this. He was, as he was doing this, there is a viper, there is a snake. Uh, that is drawn out by the heat, and it says that it, it clung onto, it latched onto Paul's hand. And by this point, it was very light, likely that the natives, they were not stupid, or, or un, uh, albeit uncultured, perhaps not as cultured as the Greeks and the Romans, and lacking the philosophy and the books of, uh, of a more sophisticated culture, uh, they were not uh, uneducated and they were not certainly dumb. As they look at these, this vast uh, number of people, they start identifying. Well, these people are dressed like soldiers, so they're soldiers. These people seem to be dressed as, as uh, sailors, so they're sailors. Oh, these ones, they have some, the, the soldiers have shackled them again, uh, have shackled them. These must be prisoners. It's not that hard. And they were not uh, unaware of this. That some of them were criminals. So what they, do they conclude when they see the Apostle Paul being bitten? Oh, you see, this man must have done something really bad in his life. Otherwise, why would this happen to him? Isn't that natural to us? 
Isn't that the natural way we, we perceive trials and afflictions in someone else's life? Or even in our lives. If something wrong happens to us, that's punishment. And that's what they perceived. He must have been a murderer, the worst kind of, of, uh, of criminals. He escaped the wrath of, uh, and this, uh, bear in mind, is paganistic mindset. They escaped the wrath of Neptune. But now you cannot escape the wrath of Dike, the goddess of justice. Karma, they would say. They were simple people, no doubt. But here you see that even simple people, they can have a uh, grasp on certain things. And they were not completely wrong. They were not completely wrong. Let me say to you a, a few points where they were right. One of the things that they were right, although they were uneducated, with no books or learning, although they were not Greeks or Romans, with, with all the, the fancy uh, high tower philosophy, they understood that there is uh, an entity in the world that governs the world. And that s things happen. They don't happen by chance. They understood that what happened to Paul there was ordered, was not just a, a, a random thing that happened, but was divine direction. They also understood that evil pursues sinners, that there is such a thing as vengeance, that there is a, an ultimate authority. They understood something of, of divine justice, of vengeance. They also understood that murder is a heinous crime. And whom, the man who sheds blood, his own blood shall be shed. They were not wrong in some of these things. But they were wrong in some. They thought, as I said, that wicked people are punished in this life. Is often the case. We hope they are. Even if they evade the long arm of the law, uh, we hope that uh, there is uh, retribution. But they, under, but they thought that it is only in this life that people are punished. There is a day when the wicked are punished, but it's a day that is in the judgment to come. They also have this idea that people who are remarkably afflicted must have been remarkably wicked. It's the, it's the, the people in Jesus' day, the, the Tower of Siloam, they thought that they were great sinners, but Jesus says, no, they were not greater sinners than the ones in Jerusalem, just because the tower fell on them. It's the mis mistake that Job's friends made. There is Job suffering and uh, uh, a very uh, bitter providence. And what do Job's friends say to him? Oh, you must have sinned. It's your fault. Quickly, find out whatever it is that caused this to happen to you so that, you can, so that this can be sorted out. Oh, brothers, but sometimes afflictions and, and trials don't come to us uh, just to steer us away, even though we correctly interpret some of them as uh, chastisement to change our direction from sin to, to repentance. Sometimes trials and tribulations like Job don't come our way because of our sin. They come so that we might mature in the faith. They come so that our faith might grow and be tested. They come for various reasons. But for these men, these natives, they understood that just to be the, the one thing, the punishment, that's why you, you're afflicted. That's a very prosperity gospel way of looking at things. 
It's always interesting when you talk with folk from prosperity gospel backgrounds uh, who believe in this. When they start talking about how uh, God wants you 100% to be healed in this life. God wants you to be prosperous in this life. And then you go, do you, do you know Paul? Paul had the thorn in his flesh and, and he was never healed from it. And they go, well, well that's because Paul had a sin in his life that he uh, lacked repenting for. And yet Paul says it wasn't because of that. That thorn in the flesh was for, 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 for him to mature, for him to grow in faith, so that the power of God might be displayed through his weakness. And how quickly and how fickle is the, the interpretation of, of the natives in, in, uh, in, in Malta? They go from considering him a wicked criminal to considering him a god. That's how they interpret things. Oh, so now, uh, because Paul flicks the, the, the snake onto the fire, they hope that they, they think that he's going to die, he doesn't die. And, and now they think that he's a divine figure. It transforms in their eyes from a condemned murderer to a divine figure. How unstable is the worldview without the knowledge of God, of the true God? You see, Paul was neither a, a, a wicked murderer, nor was he a deity with supernatural powers. Paul was a servant of a sovereign God who had determined things for the, for the, in the well-pleasing display of his will. And he ordered and he shielded them from the venom of that serpent. And this tells us, doesn't it, about the, the protection of God, how he protects us. It's, it's Daniel in the dying's land. It's Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego in, in, the, in the firing furnace, in the fiery furnace. Scriptures are, are full of divine miracles where God steps in to display his power, to testify of his care and love. And here it's a fulfillment of a promise. Just quickly, um, Jesus had said, didn't, hadn't he? Just before he ascended, in, it is recorded for us in Mark 16, 17, 18, that these signs will accompany those who believe that in his name we, they would cast out demons. Tick. That in his name they would speak new tongues. Tick. And that they would pick up servants with their hands and that they would... And if they drink deadly poison, it wouldn't hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. All of these things are a fulfillment of the promise. That is not to say, by the way, uh, safeguarding issue, policy here. Uh, that is not to say that we are not to go and, and start picking up snakes and serpents. The point of that promise is not so much uh, to, to be seen by man, but to, to prove the power of God and, uh, in proclaiming the gospel. They're about God's un unfailing protection, not about bravery and strength. So often, particularly in America, you find these wacky uh, individuals in some churches and they, they're picking up serpents. And they, uh, I think one died uh, a few years ago. That's not the point. The point was Jesus telling the disciples that you will be protected. That God is going with you wherever you go. 
The point is not that we may literally pick up venomous serpents. The point is that in the numerous perils that we face in our way, in our life, in our service to God, God is there, whether it be sickness, personal loss, whether that be attacks, uh, rejection, other forms of adversity, anything that comes our way, God is there to protect us. And he cares for us. His kingdom or his strength is active and engaged as we serve him. And finally, the third section, hospitality and healing. Verse 10, 7 to verse 10, we, we find how uh, Paul was taken to uh, not only received unusual kindness from the natives, he also received kindness from uh, this man. This, as it, he is called here, leading citizen of the island. Some translations says that, say the chief of the island. And let me just say this quickly. Uh, again, proving the accuracy and the reliability of Luke's uh, precise account of the things that happened. It's, we have records now showing that in Malta, uh, in, in this time, there was a, a hierarchy and that the, the mayor, the, 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 the king of the, or the, the eminent leader, the local leader, the, the, the guy that was on top of the political authority was called by this name, translated for us as a chief or as a leading citizen. Again, proving underscoring the historical reliability of the biblical text. Long before they discovered artifacts, Luke had already told us. But more than that, Luke also speaks with, very, uh, with a lot of accuracy. Dr. Luke, as he is called, people uh, traditionally, it's believed that Luke was somewhat in the, in the profession of being a physician, a doctor, he speaks of this fever and he describes it with, with, uh, with amazing uh, detail. It's a fever, it's a dysentery. And lo, lo and behold, there was a disease in those days in Malta called the fever of Malta. That, that, there was a, a, a bacteria that came through the, the, the milk on, in, uh, from goats in Malta. It was a very dangerous disease. But he, this the father of this leading citizen, this chief uh, Publius, he was healed through the hands of Paul, through, by God, using Paul's, uh, Paul as an instrument. Again, a, ma a wonderful manifestation of God's power. And here is a par another parallel between Paul and Jesus that we won't spend much time considering. But again, as Paul, as Jesus healed, so Paul, as an instrument in Jesus' hands, heals. And while Paul, Luke does not mention the preaching in this section, I don't think it is too much of a leap of uh, 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 faith to to understand that in the three months that Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus were there in the island, that in these three months, given this wonderful opportunity, given this great reception with honor in, in all of this, that Paul failed to preach the gospel because he was indebted both to Greeks and to barbarians and to Scythians and to Jews, to the powerful and to the humble. I'm sure he preached the word of God and the gospel to those Maltese and I, the people of Malta. 
And I think that this might be an implication. It might be a little bit better of a leap. I believe that this was the establishment of a congregation in, uh, in Malta. It's an implication of verse 10. But when it says that they were honored, when it says that they were honored uh, in many ways, can you imagine the gospel being preached and, and, and giving honor to gospel preachers if you're not receiving the message? Because the gospel has, often through the book of Acts and through history, that you either honor it and you receive and honor the ministers of the gospel, or you reject it and persecute the ministers of the gospel. I think implied in this is the, that some believed in a church might have been established. And again, throughout this account, and throughout the book of Acts, we see the transforming power of God. Not transforming not only lives, but transforming communities. Transforming whole nations. And in this case, I have a very hard time believing that Paul's three months in, in Malta left no mark in the community. And it's the same power. It is the same power at work in our lives today. But what lessons can we take from this passage? Besides the ones that we have just, just considered. We see the providence of God, don't we? We see the providence of God in all of these things. In the kindness uh, of, the, of the natives. As a display of God's common grace. As a display of God's care we see this in the way that God ordered all things up until then so that Paul would get to Rome among other things God works in, uh, in, in multifaceted ways we see the power of Christ through the life of this apostle Jesus fulfills his promises Jesus said that all authority on heaven and earth had been given to him and he, he commissioned his apostles. He promised them th that they would uh, escape unharmed, that they escaped un unharmed in this instance. But the main lessons is really, lesson is really about the providence, isn't it? Our confession says that God, the good creator of all things in his infinite power and wisdom upholds directs arranges and governs all creatures and things from the greatest to the least he upholds directs arranges and governs all creatures and things from the greatest to the least for the accomplishment of his will and what things do we see God controlling in this account in this episode we see that God is the God of the weather when time came, the weather uh, ceased. When the, the, he's the Lord of, of the waves. When time came, the waves ceased or the waves hit stronger. He controls the rain. He controls the cold. He is the Lord of animals. How providential was that snake? God placed that snake there. You know that. The serpent itself was not chance. The natives were right. They were wrong on the reason why. But the serpent itself was, was not chance. Even the animals are under his uh, supreme control. 
For God is the Lord of our hearts as well. Imagine that Paul and the people on that boat landed in, a, in an island where people were barbarians in the true sense of the word barbarian, cannibalistic, whatever it was. That there were people who were opposed to foreigners. But now God was in control of the hearts of those natives. He directed them. He produced in their hearts kindness, goodness, warmth, so that they came to supply for the apostle and the people of God and even for the others who were there. And this is not the first time that this happens in Scripture. How God moved the, the hearts of people in Egypt. How God moved the hearts in people in Babylon, in Assyria, Cyrus. How God moves the hearts for the accomplishment of his will. The Lord is the, is the Lord over the, the weather, the animals, and the hearts. And he employs all of this, brothers and sisters. He employs all of this for the good of his church, for the expansion and the glory, uh, for the expansion of the kingdom of his son, and for the glory of his name. Do you understand this? Do you understand what this episode means for us in our own lives? How many adversities we go through. How many things and difficulties and problems we go through. And so often we feel like Paul. Just when things seem to get better. Or so often we don't feel like Paul. We, we are in situations like Paul was. Just when things seem to get better. They get worse. Even worse than they were before. And it's worse again. They see a beach but then they run aground. They they get to the they get to they survive the, the swimming to the shore, but then they're cold and they're almost hypothermic. But here comes the natives. Oh great! Uh, but but now here's a serpent. All of this. All of that all that time seems to be lost. But it's not to be. It's not like that. Because the Lord who is in control of this universe is the Lord over the weather, the waves. He's the Lord over the hearts and the animals. When, when things seem to, go, to be going worse, it's actually God graciously and sovereignly by his providence ordering things for the good of those who love him. And my and brothers, we, that's what we need to do to get into our heads and friends as well. We live in a world where storms are prevalent, where serpents bite, where uh, unexpected things happen, where illnesses and diseases strike. We live in a world filled with uncertainty. The one thing that remains constant the, only, the one thing that doesn't change, we change. We get older, we get gray hairs, we, 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 we lose faculties, we ch everything changes around us and all, uh, everything is always changing. The only th one thing that remains constant is God. His love, his sovereignty, his control over the weather, the vipers, the illnesses, the hearts of people. He's in control. And if you're his, 
It's the promise of Scripture. They will never leave you nor forsake you. That he will never abandon you. That, he is, that you're in his hands and that he cares for you. That's not the promise of the preacher. That's not uh, unfounded optimism. It's the promise of Scripture. Why? Because of the cross. You don't need a, a greater, uh, another proof of God's love if you're his. Because he gave his son. The blood of Christ shed on that cross should be proof enough that God orders everything sovereignly for your good. Oh, the, that cross, brothers and sisters, it was the greatest of shipwrecks. It was the greatest of snake bites. It was the greatest of disasters, or it, at least it seemed. But God turned it for good. Can he not do this with your snake bite, with your storm in life this time, or with the sickness that you have? Not only he can, but he will do so. He turns the ultimate shipwreck, the ultimate disaster for good because he's in control. And when the only thing he asks of you is trust, faith, to bow your knee, to rest upon him, to lean upon his everlasting arms. There is, there is power enough in heaven to turn all these things. There is wisdom enough in heaven in all these things that we can rest assured that all of it will be for good. Think of those words of the, of the prophet Jeremiah. Is there balm in Gilead? Is there no physician in, 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 in there? If you're without Christ, I can tell you, there is a balm in Gilead. There is a physician here. There is saving grace to be found in Jesus. Even for these pains, even for these sickness, even for these... Uh, snake bites and these trials and temptations in this world that we are all broken that we are all struck with the sickness of sin where our hearts are hardened our eyes are are blinded our ears are stopped our our consciences are clouded where all of our faculties because of sin are affected we're in this world that is a storm constantly happening, that we're being tossed to and fro, that there is a safe haven, there is a place of refuge, there is a, a Malta, spiritually speaking. And that place of refuge is Christ. And there is power enough in heaven to cure a sin-sick soul, as we will sing in, a, in just a few moments. Why? Because he was bruised for our transgressions. He was uh, pierced for our sins. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And he offers us new, new life.
Jesus heals. Jesus is in control of all these things. And Jesus heals a sin-sick soul. And he receives us. He receives us. He receives us. Not with the same kindness as the natives of Malta. But even with a greater kindness. Because the natives of Malta did not consider the... That Paul and the, the other people on the ship to be enemies. But Jesus receives enemies. When we are wash upon his shores as penitent sinners, he knows that we come as enemies. And yet he receives us. And he guides us. Oh, may we find his healing, his wholeness, th- this wholeness that he alone can give, this life in him.